Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Electrician Live. My name is Paul Abernathy. We come to you each week at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Of course, I also do other content at various times, so make sure you visit us on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash master the NEC, and subscribe so you know when we're live, giving you an update. Uh, But also, you can listen to all of our podcasts on various podcasts. Channels like Spreaker and Spotify and Deezer and Apple Podcasts. There's a many simulcast ways to listen to our shows. Uh, but today we have a good episode. We're going to bring a guest in today. And this guest is the owner of Wired Up Electrical Design. And he's also a student in the Fast Tracks program, as well as one of our Patreon members. And he's working his way through the National Electrical Code. Obviously, we're studying the 2020 Code. Uh, but today we had a good discussion, and he had a question that he wanted to, to ask, and uh, it had to do with uh, readily accessibility as opposed to it, something simply being accessible, and we want to have a good discussion on that, but uh, I want to introduce to you Jay Grunberg, again, with Wired Up Electrical Design. Jay, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for having me. Excellent. I appreciate you bringing me on your show and be able to go over this topic of accessible ground fault circuit interrupters. Absolutely. So, Jay, before we get into it, uh, tell me tell me a little bit about yourself, or tell the listeners a little bit about yourself how you how you got to this point, how you got in the in in the industry, uh, and just let them let them know a little bit about you. Sure, I'd love to. So, I got in the industry at a younger age, roughly 22. And it's been a huge blessing. I, I agree with, with you, Paul, electrical is the best trade out there. And I was blessed to fall into it. And so as, as I did my apprenticeship, my schooling, I was able to test out for my journeyman in the state of Colorado. That's, that's where Wired Up began that's where my apprenticeship began as well. So, so I went through the schooling, got my journeyman's, passed that exam, went on and took my master's exam. And then I decided one day just to go ahead and get my electrical contractor's license. 
And this was about five years ago. And ever since then, I went from a commercial background to primarily residential running the business. And so a lot of these code articles that reference or refer to dwellings, single family and uh, multifamily dwellings, I had no idea what they were or a little bit of understanding of what they were. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I find that a lot. You know, commercial guys, uh, they, you know, they, they tend to get into commercial. They do a lot of commercial work and everything is pretty much laid out on a drawing. It tells you where this goes, where that goes. Somebody else has designed it. Not always the case. There's a lot of ad, ad built or as built designs that have to, to be modified and makes you think a little bit. But a lot of times uh, we're, uh, we're just soldiers on a commercial site and we're told you go do this, you go do that, you go do this. But once you start getting into residential, which may on the surface seem like it would be easier um, creates a whole bunch of, of codes that you have to be aware of uh, to make you think at any given time. So, again, it's, it, it is a different world, most certainly. So, let's see. So, in that thing, uh, you started up Wired Up electric, Electrical Design, and at some point you, uh, you decided to enroll in the Fast Tracks program. So... Do you like the program? Have you been in it now for, I guess, a couple months, uh, working your way through the, uh, the Fast Tracks? How do you like that program so far? Yeah, it's good. Great. Um, the Fast Tracks program has, in the short period of time that I've been enrolled in it, it's definitely made my brain think. I, I don't want to take pride, but there's smoke coming out of the ears um, <laughs> if I spend too long on there just because there's so much information to intake um, and so many reference points like you mentioned before that you give code articles and, and I'm flying through this book. Um, so I enjoy that. But let me just tell everybody how I became a fast track member. And I was actually just stumbling on calculations. I wanted to go online and see if I could get, pretty much brush up on my range calculations, which that table can be very um, complicated at times. Table 220.55 for, for the demand factors of, of ranges. And so I, I said, man, I need to get on here. I need to find a video to kind of brush it up. And that's where I found you, Paul, and one of your videos. Oh, okay. And it just it just brought me in. And then as I was going through it, I kept seeing master the NEC, master the NEC videos and the videos don't stop. I haven't got to a lot of them other than the ones that pertain to fast tracks and, and the calculation for the ranges, but it was great. And then I found out about your fast tracks program, which was very interesting too, because I, I asked myself, I said, well, I've, I've completed four years of schooling. I've ran my own business for five years and my goal now is to try to take my inspector's exam. So I, you know, putting pride aside, I said, well, I probably need to dive into the program. And that's, that's how I got into your fast track program. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So ICC based inspector exams, you know, those type of programs, 
um, are all based on the National Electrical Code in some form or fashion. So whether it's a residential uh, for the IRC, uh, they have their own book, obviously. And But there's a table in the back of that that cross-references with the NEC. So it makes it easy. Always teach people, learn the NEC, then you can cross-reference into the IRC if you're doing an ICC inspector exam. And, and of course, commercial that is all based on the NEC. So it just makes for a good transition. So... Excellent. So, yeah, so not everybody in the fast track student uh, program is is in there because they're trying to get their journeyman's or masters. You already have that. So uh, that's cool. I have I have quite a few companies who have their 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 folks in their are in the program and they're in their own separate core uh, just because they're trying to bring everybody up on the same page. So that's awesome. So I noticed also you you ended up over on our Patreon as well, which is kind of how we communicate uh, many times when you have questions and or, or challenging the status quo, which I always tell people to do. Never take something that you hear from somebody as gospel. You should check and verify for yourself. Don't even me. Don't you know? Make sure you feel comfortable with something. Ultimately, that's important. And so you ended up over in the Patreon, and has that been a positive experience in that? Yeah. So how I stumbled across the Patreon is. Is I was watching a live video, um, we were doing prep exam, and a member of the Patreon made a remark about the program, and I was just curious. And then you referred to it, and you were like, yeah, we're going to go over the 2020 code from front to back. And I was like, there's no better way to learn this book than to go through a program like that. And then also, the more you dig into it, the more you realize that you're contributing to your staff to keep you on the air, to keep this education program going. Absolutely. So I just, I fell in love with it, signed up right away. And then obviously I had to, I compared the three categories, which I'm very fortunate to where I was able to do the VIP um, portion of it or sure. that section of it. I was able to enroll sure. on that. So, and it's, it's been tremendous. I, I did being a part of the fast tracks program and the Patreon series. Um, it definitely was a little challenge to get caught up because you were about probably six or seven episodes ahead of where I needed to start, which was, I believe article 90. Mm-hmm. So I had to catch up and then I had to also go back to the fast tracks and make sure that I'm doing my part there to not try to get, too far away from it. Sure. So, but yeah, the Patreon's been great. And every, it seems like every topic that you cover on that series, it generates a question or two for me. It's awesome. And that's where it brought me today into, into the 210.8 um, section of the code book. Awesome. Yeah. That, I mean, and it's got to, it is going to get challenging uh, for you going through the fast tracks program and also simultaneously doing the Patreon because, <laughs> you know, Patreon's 2020 and, and you're engulfed in the 2017. So it, you know, you're going to read something and, and you're going to say, well, wait a minute, 2017 said that, but that's a good thing. Uh, that's the whole course of, of learning. Now imagine uh, getting in my head, uh, is as have had people for the years say, well, I'd love for it to be a USB port. I could just plug it in. I'm like, well, I don't think you want to get in there. But um, the the fact that I, from t- 
time to time teach 2005, 2008, 2011, 2014, 2017, and 2020, things have dramatically changed over the course of a few cycles that you have to remember when you're quoting something to somebody or you're helping them out. You're like, okay, which code section are you in? Or what, what code edition are you in? Because it did change quite a bit. And so that becomes a challenge for me uh, to have all of that bouncing around in that space to, to make sure that I'm you know, lining it up, especially when I'm teaching somebody. So the Patreon series allows me just to focus on 2020. I read the code. I don't talk about changes. I bring them up, but let's just focus on the code as written. And, and, and it's designed to generate questions. So you using it perfectly. When you hear or, or read a, a watch a video episode and I talk about it maybe at a 10,000 foot level, it might spark questions. So you end up posting questions on there and they're exclusive means that nobody else can see them except for Patreon members. So it it actually, it's working out pretty well. I'm, I'm pleased with it. And uh, so I'm I'm glad you're happy with that. Uh, So you had the question and had a brief topic on it. And I wanted to be able to explain it to obviously help others uh, as well, who might be struggling with this or need a little bit of clarity to it or, or want somebody's opinion on it. And so you really had a question when it came to readily accessible when it comes to GFCI devices, as it states in the charging statement of 210.8, which, again, requires that ground fault circuit interrupters shall be installed in a readily accessible location. So you had some scenarios, and if you want to talk about them, I will elaborate on, on, on them and, and give you some opinions on it and uh, see where we go from there. Awesome. Yeah, I'd like to touch on... The crawl space section, which is 210.84 or A4, which is crawl spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I've had this situation where we go down into a crawl space. Maybe it's, you know, you have to lift up a cover, a floor cover in a bedroom closet, maybe, for example. And so you, you lift this cover up, you go down into a space that's, you know, considered a crawl space and what the requirements are in that crawl space. And so we would, I would battle, not really battle with inspectors. I would always, I guess, go with what the AHJ is saying in the long term. I would just do what they told me to do. And one, it's, it's because they're the authority having jurisdiction. And two, it's because I don't have, or I didn't feel competent with the knowledge that I knew you try to go back and forth with them, sure. especially being so new to the industry. My first few years, I just kind of uh, caved in, if, if you want to say. But so my question to you, Paul, was crawl spaces. So we go down there. Let's say there's a uh, stump pump down there, piece of equipment, or I just want to throw a GFI down there. Um, customer requests it maybe. And so I do, I throw the GFI down there and then I load side off that GFI to a switch, which then would feed a, you know, a bulb, a light of some sort. And as I was reading on 210.8, the last portion of it says the ground fault circuit interrupter shall be installed in a readily accessible location. And I go, okay, is that readily accessible? Um, I've never really got dinged on putting a GFI down there. 
but it just started um, an inside of my head conversation with myself, like, okay, me having to pick up that um, cover, the floor cover, is that an obstacle? Um, and and also jumping down there, would that be readily accessible for myself, the homeowner, the inspector, or whoever's doing work on that receptacle? And and I bring this up because then my thought was, okay, if it's not readily accessible, but it has to be GSCI protected, then what are my options? Sure. Do I put a you know faceless device up top, or do I protect it from the breaker? Where's the cost coming in at? And so just a lot of factors just kind of came into play. So that's why I reached out to you for the clarification. Okay, good. So it's a good question. And it brings in the the importance of of being able to explain to individuals that are that are learning the code or, or running into those things. First of all, arguing with an inspector is sometimes like wrestling with a pit and pig in mud. After a while, you realize that they actually enjoying uh, the moment. And I can say that without offending inspectors because I was one and I was a head of a jurisdiction. And, you know, we want to think that the education that we put forth in that profession is to make things safer, especially for the uh, people of our community. So we we have to form opinions, and those opinions are generally what's going to carry us through the day so we can be consistent across the board and how we enforce them. Although uh, not every inspector is created equal, and not every inspector will enforce things equally. Uh, two separate situations. And... The key is, uh, if an AHJ is, you know, you said that you hadn't had an issue with putting any down there. So I'm assuming the AHJs have not had an issue with this specific situation because they, you know, you continue, you, you have put them down there. But this, this brings us back to the examination of what is considered really accessible and using somewhat of a level of common sense. That is where we're hoping that the HJ brings into that, uh, that, ability to bridge that gap and, and, and some will work with you and some will not. So readily accessible, understanding the definition of article 100 is capable of being reached quickly for operation, renewal and inspection without requiring those to whom ready access is requisite to take actions such as to use tools other than keys to climb over or under or remove obstacles or to resort to portable ladders and so forth. Okay, so let's apply it to your this. Let's apply this to your situation. Now, first of all, receptacles aren't required to be in a crawl space. However, if we have air conditioning units, servicing equipment, and two ten point sixty three requires a receptacle within twenty five feet, and so we have to look at the the overall scope of the application. But let's go with the premise that you have the receptacle down there, and if it's in a crawl space, it's got to be GFCI protected. The receptacle. Now, when we're talking about this, the receptacle, it really means things that are plugged into it. So it can be at the receptacle or it could be at the overcurrent protective device integrated with GFCI protection in this case. So a circuit breaker with GFCI. Um, either one would be sufficient in order to meet this requirement. The question is whether or not the one in the crawl space, if you put a GFCI down there, is readily accessible. Now, what's interesting is when you look at other than dwellings, for example, and you have a rooftop application, it specifically calls out an exception that says, well, you know, the GFCI receptacle that's to serve the rooftop 
and that would be the receptacle that's trying to meet the 210.63 within 25 feet rule. Required to be readily accessible other than from the rooftop itself. So while this is actually outside of a dwelling and it's over in the other than dwelling, the concept here is that receptacle is there for specific function. So if it's there for specific function, who needs ready access to this? Who needs to get there? Who needs to reset it? Who needs to check it? Uh, And this would be the person that's working on the equipment based on what the the receptacle is installed for. So again, that is an allowance for other than dwellings to say, you know what? If I have a rooftop and I have an HVAC unit on it and I have a receptacle within 25 feet, but there's no way to get to that roof, then is it considered readily accessible? Well, not from those that are standing on the ground, but do they need ready access to it? Absolutely not. Who needs ready access to it? The person or persons that are working on the unit that's on the rooftop. So we have to apply that logic, even though it's not it's, it's as clear as mud, over on the dwelling unit. Removing a, a, floor, a door is, to me, not an obstacle. This would be no different than if I had a crawl space that had adequate height and I had a panel board in it, which required the overcurrent devices to be readily accessible. Uh, it happens a lot, and there's a lot of crawl spaces that are um, not basements. They qualify as crawl spaces. They would not be considered habitable in any means, but you have enough clearance that you could put these in there, and obviously those devices are considered readily accessible. It's, it's acceptable. So as long as you meet all the other requirements with depth, height, and everything in 110.26, you, you meet all that type of stuff, that those overcurrent devices would also be considered readily accessible. So taking us to the crawl space, if the crawl space is to a point where it's so shallow that you can just jump down into it, then as chances are you're going to have to crawl around. Uh, not just because it's called crawl space doesn't always mean you got to crawl in a crawl space. I mean, that's a misnomer. But if you're crawling down in there, one, you have to assume that it's enough height in order to get the equipment in there because we do have rules in the code for limited access in 110.26. So we, we do have some um, rules for that. But if you... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. you got to crawl around in it and get to it, then you can make a good argument that anything placed down there would not be considered readily accessible. Uh, if you had to pull the cover itself, which I don't think is an obstruction, uh, an access hole, but if you've got to use a ladder to get down to it, then obviously it's not going to be readily accessible. And there's no exception to that like you do over for rooftops and other than dwellings. So again, it's going to be a call that the AHJ will have to make, hoping that they use a little bit of common sense because I have a lot of crawl spaces that I can get into very easily. And I can maneuver in very easily. And I wouldn't be climbing over or under anything. Or I wouldn't need any ladder to get to it. And if I put something in there, we have to come back to the concept of what is that receptacle there for? It's there for the need of servicing, typically, for servicing that equipment. And so does the person that's working on that equipment have ready access to it? Absolutely. It's right there. So I think we have to sometimes look in the context of 
of what we're putting it down there for. Uh, but there are people that are going to have a different opinion when it comes to readily accessible. Uh, and uh, I think that, you know, typically people ask this question all the time about receptacles that are under the sink. And it is under the sink. It's in there. Is it readily, readily accessible? People could argue that, yes, it is readily accessible based on the language uh, of um, Article 100 for readily accessible. However, if it's up high behind the plumbing and it's not easy to get to, that my 80-year-old mom couldn't crawl under there to be able to maneuver up through to get to it, then I could argue that it's not readily accessible. Of course, common sense has to come into this play. So the code is giving you an allowance to tell you that this receptacle has to be of GFCI protected. It's basically saying you have options. Do it at the breaker. You don't necessarily have to do it at the device location that's down there. And so depending on the HJ and how they feel, that might be your, that's your alternative. But again, there's no defined hard line except for we know that any receptacle in a crawl space has to be GFCI protected. We're going to give you options to do that. Now you have to look at the location and to say to yourself, does this meet the requirements of the definition? Is it capable of being reached quickly for operation, renewal, and inspection without requiring those whom ready access is required to take actions, such as using tools? So I can't take that access hole and screw it down. That wouldn't work because I'd be resorting to a screwdriver. That's a tool. That's not going to work. All right. Uh, am I going to climb? Do I climb over or under anything to get to this uh, receptacle. Well, if it's underneath and it's on the other side and i got to climb over some pipes or duct work or do something like that, then it's obviously not readily accessible. Is there Do I have to remove obstructions? Well, a door is an access, not necessarily an obstruction. So, again, do I have to have a ladder to get down in there? And if I can just jump right down in there, then chances are it's not that high and I've got to crawl around and over stuff and at that point, I don't know that it's considered readily accessible. Now, if it's a jump down in there and the, ace, the, the air handler unit is right there and it's adequate height for the air handler unit, it's obviously adequate height to be able to get to it. You obviously have a disconnection means on it that if it's permitted to be down there, then the chances are it's got to be considered readily accessible for that. Then I don't know that adding a receptacle down there is going to create any hazard. Uh, and so that's the kind of things uh, and the reason I wanted to have this discussion because it's it's not as black and white for a student to look at it and say, oh, well, this this is this is just black and white. It's not. OK, so I don't know. All that was a lot of talking. I don't know if that helped you any. No, this is great, Paul. It definitely makes me aware of the situation at hand and what defines really accessible and what doesn't define really accessible. And my interpretation of what I just took in from you was it's based on that level. Whereas in, I always thought it was on the main level. You know, is it, is it accessible from the main level? Um, the rooftop isn't, isn't accessible from the main level. So that makes total sense. And I'm, I'm glad you went over this. And it's something that I'll go over with my guys. Um, and I had one more too for you. It doesn't really state it here in 210.8. But I've had a situation where I was required by the AHJ, whether it was a third party or the inspector at the time, to put a GFI in an attic. Mm -hmm. And 
And if I did, if I was required to put it in the attic, does it have to be GFCI protected? Okay. So first things we usually look at that is, again, now the HJ is requiring it. And again, you can push back and say, why are you requiring it? Uh, what code sections requires this again, or you could just accept what they say. Again, some people say, well, you know what, if I, if I argue my inspection is going to get tougher or my next inspection is going to get tougher. Okay. Might be a true statement, might not. But when it comes to the dwelling unit, we have distinct locations that are required to have the GFCI protection, right? And I could actually do it on every circuit if I wanted in the house. And we're slowly getting that way in 2020, uh, so again, but in re- in the reality of it is there's nothing in 210.8A that's going to require the GFCI in that attic space. Now, what they're probably doing in this case, you probably had a unit up there, probably had an air handler unit, right? And more, more often than not, that's probably what you had going on up there. And so... In that scenario, he's probably, and he's probably not in the 2020 code, but in general, he's probably talking about uh, the 210.63 requirement, and he wants a receptacle, okay, that is located uh, within so many feet of the air conditioning unit, okay? So, you know, 25 feet. So, if you look at the way the code language, and of course, we're studying the 2020, so we'll just kind of look at it from that perspective uh, anyway, is it says the required receptacle outlet shall be installed on the same level as the heating and air conditioning and refrigeration equipment. The receptacle outlet shall not be connected to the load side of the equipment's brand circuit disconnection means because they don't want you to pigtail it off the of the of the load side. All right, it says uh, exception: a receptacle outlet shall not be required at one and two family dwellings for the service of evaporative coolers. Okay. I'm certainly sure we're not talking about that in Colorado. Uh, so we don't have the evaporative coolers. So this is a service receptacle requirement. And the general rule says that it is 125 volt single phase, 15 or 28 receptacle outlet shall be installed in an accessible location within 25 feet of the equipment as specified. And nothing in here requires the GFCI protection within that attic space. And in fact, I'm not sure what they're trying to additionally try to achieve there, um, but there's nothing in here that would, that would require that to be in that location. So uh, that's an inspector that's you know just imposing their will, and they're not being questioned on anything. But again, my response to people that are listening out there, uh, electricians have uh, I mean, a, a job of dealing with not only the installation, but dealing with an inspector. Inspectors are very knowledgeable. Some are more knowledgeable than others. I get it. It's a, it's a hard job. I was there looking at things every day and knowing that everybody's waiting for you to make the decision. It's bad enough, though, if we're making up things just out of our butt. We, we have to have a rationale for why we do it. And if you fail somebody, you need to, to give them the reason why you fail them. You need to tell them why you failed them. And give them the code reference and let them know. But there's nothing in the National Electrical Code that would require GFCI protection at, at that location. So um, you can challenge that one back, uh, or you can just accept the $15, $14 GFCI and put it up there. And and then, then you get to argue out with them whether or not it's considered readily accessible or <laughs> not once you put it up there. But... 
At the end of the day, no, it, there's nothing that requires that to be GFCI protected. It's okay. It doesn't hurt anything. It's it's in addition, but it's certainly not a requirement. I don't know if that answered that yeah, question. For I you. think the inspector was, yeah, it, it, it answered it very clear. And I think now looking at the code I replied, I believe the third-party inspector probably was taking the crawl space article and kind of applying it for those requirements in a crawl space and applying it to the attic would be well the only only problem would, only problem with that is that it says at or below grade level so he would be right. he would be he would be selectively choosing a code reference so you know <laughs> and of course he you know he could he, he you know can't argue that it's a basement uh, we have definitions for basements in the international residential code and building code and obviously that's uh, the not going to be reason. So yeah, I don't know his his rationale for it, but again, it's is it worth the argument? Uh, these probably are worth the argument for me, as I've always been argumentative anyway. Uh, to to point out and say, you know, I don't know where you're getting that. Can you show me in the code where that is? Uh, because I also believe that it's every ins- situation is an educational moment for everybody involved. And if you approach it right with the inspector and say, hey, I'm learning this code, you know, show some humbleness to it and say, hey, I'm learning this code. I've got my code book. Can you can you show me where that is in the code so that I can make sure my guys are are up on this and, you know, and, and, and approach it that way? He might look at it and when once he can't find it, he might go, oh, um, well, I'm glad you brought this to my attention because I must have heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody who told somebody and it's not required. Okay, then you know, then he's educated, or she's educated, and then everybody's educated, and it's it's a it's a turns a weird moment into an educational moment, right? Well, good deal. So, is there any other any other those uh, questions that that uh, pressing questions that you you have that we can cover before we end this episode? I figure I would give you the opportunity. If there's another question, put me on the spot. Just ask away, or put you on no, the spot. I'm looking at the. I'm looking at Article 210.8. Mm-hmm. Let me just suggest to anybody out there who is in a situation like myself, who is an owner of a business and or moving into that position or even um, apprentices that are going out for their residential wiremen that eventually you're going to go to a job site and instead of being told what to do, you're going to be the person telling people what to do. Um, if I can give any advice to them is would be to sign up um, either for the fast tracks program. If, if you're going to take that exam or the Patreon series also as well. And, or if you've already taken that exam, exam, sign up for this series because it will benefit you in the long run to know the 2020 code. Now, when, when these, when this 2020 edition gets adopted in Colorado, I, I couldn't tell you when, right especially with the COVID-19 going on. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure some jurisdictions like Denver who they're known to adopt the code first and set precedence on the code. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure when they're going to adopt it. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's probably going to be mid, mid-year, mid if not maybe towards the end. Um, but for you individuals who are out there, um, get into the Patreon series and, and learn from Paul the, the facts and the breakdown and, and what 
what this code is saying because in situations like that, Paul, where I've had where I was required to put this GFI device in an attic, this was actually on a multifamily um, application, and I had over 92 units. Wow! And I don't believe there was any equipment in the attic. Now, regardless of who the inspector was and his interpretation of mine, at the end of the day, the code doesn't require it. And with 92 units, that's a lot of extra labor, a lot of extra cost that, you know, whether you did or did not put in the budget, you could either save a little bit or at the end of the day, you may be spending a lot more. So you say it was 92 units? Yeah, it was 92. It was, it was five plexes and four plexes, which, um, tallied up to 92 units. So even at, at $13 a GFCI device at 92 units, that's over, it's, it's about $1,200. So that's the amount of a stimulus check. <laughs> so uh, if you got yeah. one, if you qualified for one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You get the full price at one too. Yeah, yeah. So at, at, at the end of, at the end of the day, you know, I tell people all the time. Look, I didn't get into business to just give away money, right? I mean, we 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 do a lot of things in this industry as a contractors that we don't charge for. I mean, you had to have gone on and added extra things because the builder or something wants it, and you're like, okay, I'll give you this, and I'm not going to hit you with the labor. I'm a big change order guy, but you know, at the end of the day, we've done stuff. But when you're going to have somebody that, that is remotely not involved in the project, right? They are a third party outside source. They're just coming there to look at to make sure it's a minimum safety standard. The last thing I want is a decision they make is going to cost me 1200 bucks out of my pocket or something that I didn't plan for. Um, because, sure. you know, so again, I always teach people, I tell them, you know, the code is, is a minimum safety standard. If you follow it, you have a minimally safest structure available, but you learn it because you only get paid to do things once. You don't get paid to do it twice. Uh, and if somebody's foolish enough to pay you for every time you mess up, hey, you need to keep that person because uh, you know that person's uh, you know going to make you some money. Uh, uh, but uh, you got to be willing to charge for it. But if you make the mistake, how do you absorb that? If your your helpers, your apprentices, your journeymen. Or make, or make the mistake, they're still expecting to get paid. Uh, unless you say, look, you screwed up, I'm not going to pay you. How, how, do you. how do you do that? And so learning the code and understanding it, I have so many people say, yeah, Paul, but that's not the hands-on. You're already required to learn the hands-on before you can get your licenses. The code is trying to save you business-wise. The code is trying to save you if you go to court. I can defend somebody from an expert witness standpoint if they followed the minimum safety standard, I can't defend or, or put up a, a a defense for somebody who doesn't follow the minimum safety standard. Mm. And I also despise people making people do things that they're not required to do. If you choose to do that, that's your choice. But when somebody who has no interest in the project forces you to do something because they, they don't know any better, then that's a problem. And again, requiring GFCIs and locations where, like you said, if the receptacle wasn't required there in the first place, then why make me put a why make me put a GFCI on there? Why why kick dirt in my face even more? You know, I might not have been required to even be there. So, at any rate, uh, yeah, it's extra cost, unnecessary, but hey, happens all the time. So you know, you know, you have the. You, if you ever run into that again, now you 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 can you can choose whether you want to push back or accept it, right? So, right. All right. Well, Jay. Hey, man. I'm 
thank you for for taking the time to come on the uh, on the show. Uh, I think it's a great show. That kind of again giving uh, the summary is is that accessible locations versus readily accessible is going to be very much dependent on the condition at hand. Um, and I usually tell students look at the location first, determine if anything in that location is going to invoke the situation of readily accessible, climbing over, climbing under, obstacles in the way, all those type of things, uh, portable ladders to get to it. Um, you know, you're, I don't know your age, but it's probably pretty easy for you to probably jump down into a crawl space hole. It's not so easy for my 80-year-old grandmother, or, well, my mom is 80, so my, will be all older than that, um, person to jump down into that space they would need a ladder they would need a way to get there okay so to me depending on the condition something could be considered and many people will err on the side of caution and say no not everybody's gonna be able to jump down in there that's not readily accessible whereas i could have a crawl space that's on the side that i can simply walk straight into and it's high enough it's it's adequate um then that would be considered okay. So every situation has to be looked at differently, and we really need to just examine it by going back and looking at the definition and, and in applying that to the situation at hand and look at it and go, is this readily accessible? I know the door is not an equation. That's not an obstruction. But if I screw that door down, that's, an obstru- that's having to use a tool. That's a problem. Now, could the average person... Not my young 20, 25, 30-year-old apprentice or journeyman jumping down there. Because the average person just jump down in there like that. Well, maybe not. Okay. They're going to need a ladder. Okay. Well, is that uh, at that point you need a ladder to get there? Whether it's above you or below you, you're still using a ladder. That would, that would be something that we consider whether it was readily accessible or not. So all those things have to be taken into consideration. I wish it was, you know, black and white for everybody. But again, again, it's interpretations are going to be the way they roll. Everybody's going to have an opinion. But that's kind of a summary of what we talked about uh, today. So, Jay, I thank you for taking the time out. I wish you all the success uh, in, in your for your company. Uh, you know I'm here if you need me, um, whether it's on the Fast Tracks or the Patreon. And like all my students know, um, even after they're done with their program, I'm here always to, to help any way I can. So, again, I uh, appreciate you taking the time to, to come on to the show today, and, and let's talk about this uh, this topic. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul, and I'm, I'm excited, and I look forward to digging deeper into this code with you. And also, can't wait to get those uh, wizardry and mafia T-shirts and stickers I ordered off of off of your website. So I'm looking excited for those, too. Oh, yeah, Electrician Pride. I appreciate Pride. you offering those. Electricianpride.com picked up some swag. I appreciate you uh, doing that as well. So, all right, man. Well, thank you for coming. For everybody out there that listened to this episode, thank you. Again, if you have any questions, you can always email them to me at info, I-N-F-O, at masterthenec.com. Encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash masterthenec. Listen to our videos uh, or watch our videos. Listen to our podcast. There's Literally hundreds of them there. You got to go back in the archives. You can see them from many, many years ago on all different types of topics. Uh, and then for listening to our podcast, I appreciate it. Consider supporting us over on the Patreon. That's Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash master the NEC. Or you can get there at paulabernathy.com and that'll get you there as well. So uh, thanks again to Jay for coming and for all you listening. Until next time, stay safe and God bless. 
You've been listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul 